So I just want to share with you a couple of verses as we begin um, that have been on my kind of heart this week as I was reading through the passage that we're going to open up. Um, and it's from Isaiah 50, chapter 55, 10 to 11, verse 10 to 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And I believe that God's word is going to do exactly that this morning, that it will not return to him empty, that he has a plan for it and he has a purpose for it and it will achieve that today. And also Hebrews uh, chapter 4 verse 12 speaks about God's word being alive and active. It's one of my favorite um, verses about God's word. How it pierces right to our soul the joints and marrow, in other words, the body and um, discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. And those are the three areas that we're going to look at today. How does God want to break through in our uh, souls, in our bodies, and in our hearts? How does he do that in this encounter with him um, in Mark chapter 2? And how does he want to do that with us today? So we're going to be reading from uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Lots of you will be familiar uh, with this story, uh, like I, I have been since I was a child. Um, it's quite a dramatic um, encounter with Jesus, and it, it captures the imagination. Um, I've called this talk the, a triple breakthrough because um, of the word breakthrough. You know, this, this story involves literally men breaking through a roof. Um, but I, want, I, I believe that God wants to do a different kind of breakthrough with us. Uh, the word breakthrough means a sudden, a dramatic or important discovery or development. And that's exactly what uh, happens in this story. So Mark chapter 2, it's on page, I think it's 755, if you've got one of the Bibles uh, from the front here. Let's read. Uh, Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, sorry, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, "Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone?" Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Like I say, it's exciting. Uh, Mark's gospel is an exciting gospel. It's one of my favorites. Um, and his aim, Mark's aim, is always to get us, the readers, excited, especially if we are new to Jesus and we don't know much about him. He wants to encourage us with the good news of Jesus so that we'll have more faith in him. Um, so let's kind of be open to this as, as we uh, explore this. Um, you know, op be open to what Mark wants to do. He wants to um, really encourage us and fill us with faith. So I absolutely love this story. It's, it's a dramatic encounter with Jesus. Um, this man sort of falling through the roof and, and uh, being healed inside and out. 
I um, grew up for the early part of my childhood in a very small village called Inveralachie, um, right on, in the northeast corner of Scotland. On the, uh, it was a coastal village near Fraserburgh. Um, I don't really know why we ended up there from England, but never mind. We, we ended up there, uh, my, me and my family, and um, it was a very safe, very quiet, kind of dead-end kind of place, this very small, close-knit fishing village. Um, the kind of place where families sort of live there for generations after generations, and everyone knows everyone. Um, and our setting for this story is Capernaum, and when I think about this fishing town, I kind of think of Inverality, and it's so not like that. Uh, Capernaum was um, a fishing town, uh, but it, was, it had this sort of thriving fishing industry. It was on a main road. Um, it would have sort of become this sort of bustling centre of, of economy and trade, attracting loads of different kinds of people. And also, we know from the other Gospels that um, a centurion lived there, so there would have been a real uh, military presence with at least 100 Roman soldiers um, based there. It's the place that Jesus chose uh, to move to from Nazareth. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 tells us that. He wanted to base his ministry um, in this area, um, in a busy place, and absolutely not this a quiet fishing village. Um, except for maybe one thing that these two places had in common, which was that news travels really fast. When, when me and my family moved, we moved from Luton uh, up to Inverality, it seemed like only just a matter of hours before the whole village knew that we were there. <laughs> and we had people asking us, you know, who are you, where have you come from, and why are you here? Um, you know, you, people don't move here from faraway places. Um, and that is exactly how our story begins, with this news traveling fast that Jesus is back. Um, and where Jesus was in the gospel, so often people gather round. He's still attracting large crowds today. And in these places, he speaks, just as he spoke to them, he speaks today. So this crowd gathers in Jesus' home. Um, and uh, we, we understand from the text, it was probably the place that Jesus himself was actually staying. He maybe didn't own the house, but you know, it, it was probably actually his house. Some commentators think that. This word gather, um, people, yeah, people were gathered. The word gather, it sort of implies that Jesus invited them in, that he welcomed them, them in, just as he is inviting and welcoming us in today to his presence. So we have a lot in common with this crowd. Jesus is with us. He's in the room. And like the crowd, we need to be listening and watching. You know, what does Jesus want to say or do this morning? Let's let him uh, come and bring the breakthrough that he wants uh, to bring in our soul, body, and heart. I'm just going to grab a drink. So firstly, the breakthrough in our soul. This uh, man is transformed from sinful to forgiven. In verse... Uh, Five, Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. It's the first thing that he says to the man. He calls him son, he calls him my child. This man is transformed from this anonymous man. We know nothing about him, we don't even know his name. But with, after an encounter with Jesus, he becomes a child of God. He's given more than just a new name. He's given an identity that is rooted and grounded in being part of God's family. Like I say, we know nothing about him. We don't know his age, we don't know anything about his life, we don't know his name. All that we know is that he is paralyzed. And that's probably how he was identified by so many, by his disability. Yet, um, Jesus sees him as a son. Maybe for the first time ever, this man is included, he's wanted, he's chosen. 
And we don't know if he's the same age as Jesus. Maybe he was even older than Jesus, yet Jesus says to him, he calls him my child. And this gives us a clue into Jesus' identity, that although he's fully man, he is also fully God. He uh, gives this man a glimpse of the Father's heart for him, the Father's love. Then he says, your sins are forgiven. Um, so before, this has always fascinated me about this story. Before this man has just come crashing through um, onto the ground, you know, <laughs> and he's, uh, he can't walk, and he's desperately in need of physical uh, healing, yet the first thing that Jesus does is addresses his spiritual condition. He saves his soul. And isn't that the case for us, that to be forgiven is the ultimate healing that we all need? Sin is our disability. It's what incapacitates us. It's what holds us back. It uh, binds us up. It stops us from doing and saying and being uh, the people that God wants us to be. And it's always been Jesus' number one priority. It was the primary purpose for his life, for his ministry, for his death, and for his resurrection. And it's still our most critical condition to um, accept the life-saving grace of God. That is the breakthrough for our soul. And for the rest of this talk, I want to focus a little bit more on the breakthrough uh, that Jesus has for, uh, for our bodies and our hearts. But I don't want to rush away from this sort of groundbreaking stuff. Um, that, you know, and if you haven't already received that forgiveness, you know, Jesus has a new name for you. He has a new identity. Um, and he so wants to bring that breakthrough, that freedom from sin. If that's you, don't rush away from that today. Um, you know, ask someone to pray with you later on. And, and we would be so privileged to um, pray that prayer with you and invite Jesus into your life. So what is the breakthrough um, for our bodies? Well, in this story, um, this man goes from being very, very sick to being fixed. Um, Verse 11, Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And instantly, that is exactly what happens. And um, while I was exploring this text and uh, going over this passage, I was asking God, you know, what does he want to do with us this morning? And... um, yeah, I really believe that for, for, for some of us today, it is the breakthrough in our body, in the area of healing, whether that's in physical, mental uh, health, um, and especially if something has been bothering us for a long time. Um, so I just want to say here uh, that I'm a pharmacist, so I completely appreciate, that's, what, that's my day job, um, so I completely appreciate um, that um, medicine and doctors, nurses, and all the healthcare professions, um, and medicine in particular, obviously, is, you know, is my profession. Um, I can't, you know, we, don't, we mustn't underestimate the, the benefit that that has. Um, but it has also, as I've learned more and more about medicine, it has also made me so aware of the limitations. And I just really feel that God wants to remind us that um, mir- the miraculous healing that he offers us it's not in the same league. We can't compare the two. We can be so thankful and grateful uh, for medicine and uh, other therapies and treatments. But let's not compare that to the miraculous. Because medicine um, relieves symptoms, does a great job of that. But his healing can sometimes bring a complete cure. Medicine sometimes just gives us a temporary solution, whereas sometimes his healing can bring a permanent uh, fix. Medicine often leads to a sort of dependence on, on the therapy, um, but he is able to bring complete freedom for us. 
Many people, and I see, see this so much in my job, and I, you know, I've been one of these people myself, we be, you often identify ourselves if we're struggling with our ill health. We identify ourselves with that ill health and say things like, you know, I'm a diabetic or I'm an epileptic or I'm an asthmatic. And again, that's completely understandable because these long-term medical conditions, they have such a massive effect on the individual as a whole. But, you know, Jesus says, get up, and the next verse, the man gets up. I was just so reminded of, um, of how God can just instantly, effortlessly change our lives in regards to physical healing. You know, he has supreme supernatural power. And this has really, really challenged me personally to ask him more for healing. Um, not just more frequently, but really more earnestly and more persistently. And I did a little bit of, um, I started to, well, oh, basically I have, well, we've had four children. I, why did I pause there? Like I'd forgotten, <laughs> like I'd forgotten how many children. But I've, I've been through four pregnancies. Um, and um, your body goes through a lot during a pregnancy. And um, especially, you know, with me, it was my stomach muscles obviously stretching and then, go, you know, going back down. And that has weakened them over time. And I often do get a bit of backache and neck and shoulder pain. Um, and I, before we moved to Inverness, I went quite often to see this massage therapist who worked wonders with my shoulders and things. Um, and over two years, I've just worked this out this week and I haven't told Stephen yet, <laughs> I think you might be a bit shocked with me. But over two years, I worked out that I actually, we spent, I say we now, I'm including him in this. <laughs> but I spent uh, about £600 over two years on going for these massages. And it, they helped. That's why I went back for more. But I can probably count on one hand how many times I asked Jesus to heal me. Um, you know, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Medicine is amazing. It literally is saving lives. Things like massage, counseling, all other effective forms of therapy, they have their place 100%. They're gifts from God. We should definitely keep using them. And we should definitely thank God for, for them. Um, but it did get me asking for myself, you know, do, have I started to have more faith in those gifts that God has given than in the one who's actually given them to us? So today I, I've been really challenged and I'm, I am going to go for prayer at the end of this service um, for my stomach muscles, for my back, neck and shoulders. And I'd encourage you, you know, if your ill health has been a source of frustration, disappointment, pain, then um, the Lord promises something in 2 Kings uh, chapter 20, verse 5, where he says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. For many of us, that's where we're at. We've been praying, we've been crying, we've been bringing it to him, and he does promise healing. So maybe for some of us, the breakthrough today is asking for Jesus' healing in our body. We never know. Like the paralyzed man, we might be going home, carrying our mat instead of lying on it. And the result of this was that um, the man went home. He, I'm assuming he told everyone he knew what had happened. I mean, they would have noticed he was walking. He wasn't lying on a mat anymore. Um, and they were amazed. They were praising God. And that is ultimately what it's all about. It's about being amazed by God's wonder and praising him and telling our stories of what God's done in our lives. So what is the breakthrough in our heart? When Jesus... When we have an encounter with Jesus, we move from being skeptical to being faith-filled. I read um, some statistics recently. I think this was uh, a survey done last year, towards the end of last year. 
where it found that 62% of the general public um, in Britain believe in some form, um, that some form of miracle is possible today. And in the 18 to 24 age group, this rises to nearly uh, three quarters. So young people are actually the most open to God's supernatural power. I found that so encouraging to read that, that so many people believe in some form of miracle. Um, however, on the other side, that 37% of Christian adults have never prayed for a miracle, not once. And I just, that baffled me a bit because, I mean, I mean, it does mean that a lot of Christians are praying for miracles. Um, but that did baffle me because the whole, at the very heart of Christianity, the whole faith is built around a miracle. The miracle that Jesus rose from the dead. It's what, it's our hallmark as Christians. Faith in miracles. Um, but, you know, could it be that it's almost like our faith in the supernatural power of Jesus isn't actually translating into practice. It's become much more theory than practice. And maybe our faith in seeing the impossible made possible isn't really much deeper than the general public. You know, something there has maybe gone a little bit wrong if that's, if that's how it is. And I, this is a challenge for myself. I know so often I, I accept things the way they are and I don't bring them to Jesus. And the scribes in our story, they were the skeptical ones. They're sitting there, they're thinking and questioning and reasoning, and it says, within their own hearts. And this phrase, it kind of implies that they're having this sort of internal conversation with themselves, that there's an inner dialogue going on, and they're kind of going round and round in circles and just getting more and more confused about who this Jesus is and what is he doing and what does it mean. And Jesus challenges them in verse 8. Um, and the message version says, this is what, you know, it translates it as, why are you so skeptical? Jesus challenges them over being skeptical. Now, not for one minute do I think that Jesus is saying that it's wrong for us to think or to question. You know, God has given us um, that unique ability as mankind um, to reason, to question, to, you know, be curious. That's, that's fine. That's great. But we must remember that we don't hold all the answers within ourselves. Jesus said, I am the truth. So truth without Jesus is never going to be the whole truth. Um, we can never get the full picture around a situation until we factored him in, because he is the truth. So what do we do when we're feeling skeptical? What do we do if that's where we're at today? Well, I think there's two things that we can do. One is recognizing uh, the authority that Jesus has. These scribes, they call Jesus this fellow. You know, they don't appreciate who he is or they don't understand who he is. And then they ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? So they don't understand where his authority has come from. What they actually say is true, that God alone can forgive sins. Um, but Jesus is the Son of God, and so he carries that authority. So they didn't have the whole truth. They had a partial truth. When we compare this to the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, who asks Jesus to heal his paralytic servant from a distance, um, this is so different. The centurion recognizes that Jesus is working under God's authority. And um, he recognizes that because he understands how that works with his own soldiers, that they're under his authority. And then Jesus commends him for his faith, and he heals the servant. So recognizing the authority of Jesus um, fuels our faith. There's a little phrase in verse 9, um, which is easy to miss if you, if, you know, it's easy to scan past it, and it's where Jesus asks, which is easier? Um, he 
is talking about forgiveness of sins and uh, miraculous physical healing. And he says, which is easier? I love this. He doesn't talk about it in terms of difficulty. He talks about it in terms of easiness. You know, these things that are completely impossible for us are completely possible for him. And not just that, but they're easy. I looked up the word skeptical because I wasn't 100%, you know, I kind of had an idea in my mind about what that meant. And the definition is not easily convinced. So being skeptical means it's not easy for us to believe in miracles. And it's not easy for us to expect Jesus to break through. If we've forgotten that it is so, so easy for Jesus to perform those miracles and those breakthroughs in our life. So recognizing his power as well as his authority, these are the things that will drive out skepticism. Now, many of us, we've got questions. We've got a bit of confusion. We've maybe got doubts. We may be a bit cynical. I'm not saying let's just ignore all of that and just push it to the side. I'm just saying that maybe we just need to bring that to him. Bring it to Jesus. He has answers. You know, he can bring clarity. So recognizing this power and authority of Jesus is what will lead us to being faith-filled. And there's some men in this story who had a faith which I want. A faith which stops at absolutely nothing. Faith like these four men who carried the paralytic man to Jesus. And one word just completely came to my mind. I was thinking, how would I describe these men? And it's audacity. The willingness to take a bold risk. These men were audacious. They were willing to take a very bold risk in order to see Jesus break through into this man's life. It says because of the crowd, they were unable to get to Jesus. They hit an obstacle. But audacious people, that's the thing. I don't know if you know many audacious people, but I know a few. They don't stop at obstacles. They may come across the same obstacles that we come across, but they will know that there's always a way around even if that means climbing up the stairs, up onto the roof, and crashing down through the ceiling. I maybe wouldn't recommend you do that, but... (laughs) So what are the obstacles for being uh, filled with more faith? What are the obstacles that we come across, and how do we get past them? How do we have this audacious faith? Well, there's a few that spring to mind, and um, as we close, I'd maybe just... Have a little think. Where are you at? Which one of these do you see? Yeah, that's my obstacle. Number one, being bold, taking bold risks can get a little bit messy. Let's be be honest here. Um, It can get messy, can't it? It's not always straightforward. It's not always simple. These men made an opening in the roof. And the phrase that's used, I love it, is uh, they unroofed the roof. (laughs) I don't, know if I don't think unroofed ever comes across in the Bible again. It's just that they unroofed the roof. They just took the whole thing off. But basically, this involved digging through a matting of logs, branches, and mud, which is what roofs were made of in those days. This was not a simple, easy, clean, tidy job. They were literally digging through this roof. And Jesus was a carpenter by trade. Um, and actually, probably we better understand it as a joiner or a stonemason. In other words, he probably knew how to fix a roof, or he could probably at least give it a go. And if you're going to destroy someone's roof, then you may as well uh, you know, crash through someone's roof that can fix it afterwards, I suppose. <laughs> don't crash through anyone's roof. Don't do that. Don't, I'm not asking you to destroy houses. 
Um, seriously though, you know, this was risky. This was seriously risky. This was dangerous. You know, falling through the ceiling, lowering this man who could, couldn't even walk, you know, into this room. This, was, this would be messy. There'd be mud everywhere, branches everywhere. The cost, you know, they would have had to pay for this afterwards to repair this roof, I assume. You know, and the noise. I mean, this wasn't just, you know, a nice, easy, tidy job. They would come crashing through the roof. The noise of it all would cause a massive commotion downstairs. And maybe sometimes being bold can be like this. And in particular, I thought of, you know, going forward for prayer or getting prayer ministry, whether that's on a Sunday or through the week. That can be a bit messy. And I just want to encourage you by sharing a bit of my personal, um, well, my background for the last few years um, in terms of my faith and things. Um, so about five years ago, um, I started going to a new church after not going to church for quite a long time, led by a couple that are familiar to you, <laughs> the lovely Thomas Amari. Um, and it was very, very soon that I realized that my life was a mess, and especially on the inside. You know, I was riddled with guilt, with hopelessness. I felt lonely. I felt rejected. And really, my life had, was becoming defined by fear um, and also self-hatred. Week after week, I made the decision, I'm just going to do it. I've got nothing less left to lose. Every time there was an opportunity for prayer, I went forward. And every time I was, I seemed to always get the same woman that was praying for me. It was hilarious because I was like, it's me again. You know the whole thing, you know, that's going on. I'll just give you the, you know, the next details. Um, so um, it was really funny looking back now. Um, but yeah, so I just shared a little bit more of, of the mess each time. You know, it was the, the equivalent for me of just climbing up those stairs one, one at a time, digging through the roof. I used to bring, like, loads of packets of tissues to church because it was just a given, you know, oh, I'm going to get emotional, I'm going to cry, everything. There was a lot of snot and tears, I'm going to be honest. Um, but one day, the, that roof caved in, and I did encounter Jesus in a way that changed me suddenly and dramatically, and I haven't looked back since. I've learned to trust him, um, and, you know, if there's an opportunity for prayer, just, I'm just going to go, you know? I, know. I know, okay, I might cry. The kids have now laughed at me. They're like, you always cry at church. <laughs> I can't help it. I don't know. I don't care about it anymore. <laughs> I was once afraid to let that mess show, but now I know that Jesus doesn't see it. Jesus did not even see that roof on the floor. You know, the, the roof was literally on the floor in possibly his very house that he was staying in, and it just says, Jesus saw their faith. It's hilarious. <laughs> I love it. He just sees the faith. He doesn't see the mess. That's what it's all about. Unanswered prayer can be disappointing as well. I don't want to gloss over this in any way. I know how difficult that is. I know that some of us in this room, you know, we've brought stuff to Jesus and it's, it's not shifting. It's not, it seems like he's not listening. I've been there. Um, I lost my cousin. Sorry. In what can only be described as tra tragedy. A tragic situation. And life is like that. And I'm not glossing over that. If we have that kind of disappointment, we have that kind of hurt, Jesus does want to minister to us. He, you know, and it's not a reason to stop praying. It's not a reason to stop bringing the difficult stuff to him. A couple of weeks ago, something really funny happened at work. Um, I was working in a pharmacy where uh, we were closed for lunch. And we couldn't see the, you can't see the door from the back of the shop. So anyway, I was sitting there eating my lunch. 
And we hear this banging at the door, you know. Okay. This happens quite a lot at lunchtime. They'll see the sign, they'll go away. Knock, 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 knock. Again, again, again. Knock, knock, knock. I was like, oh, I don't think this person's going to go. I just, I just got this feeling, this person is not going anywhere. Um, they haven't seen the sign, or they have, and they're just ignoring it. And sure enough, I got up, I answered it. And, and as I was walking there, I thought, oh my goodness, maybe they're knocking for a reason because they, there's something going on, they need first aid or something. But no, it was just a prescription. It wasn't even an urgent prescription. But she just was like, I need this prescription right now. Okay, okay. I was like, I'm sorry, we're closed lunch, but I'll take it. The point is, I answered the door. Why? Because she persisted. She didn't stop knocking. Luke chapter 11 has a parable like this where a friend comes knocking at another friend's door at midnight asking for bread. And this is what Jesus says, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And in case we didn't get that, he says it again. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Persist in prayer. Lastly, some of us, um, the obstacle is we've never seen it before. I've never seen a healing. I've never seen Jesus break through in that way. I've never seen, you know, I, I've never seen that happen. And that's exactly what, what the people at the end of this story say. They say, we've never seen anything like this. There's got to be a first time for everything. Some of us have maybe never seen Jesus do the miraculous, but it doesn't mean he can't, it doesn't mean he won't. Because that's what faith is all about. Hebrews 11, verse 1. One of my absolute favorite verses. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. About what we do not see. That's what faith is. It's all about seeing the unseen. Believing in the unseen. Jesus says in verse 10, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority. And today he wants us to know. And sometimes, you know, that means see, to see. I want you to see with, our, with physical eyes the things of God so that we can grasp the spiritual reality. He wants to bring a breakthrough. He wants to forgive our sins. He wants to heal our bodies. And he wants to fill us with more faith. He has the power and authority to do any of these things today, or if he wanted to do all of them. I know that I'm in that place where I kind of believe he can, but I was asking myself this week, do I believe he will? Because that's faith, believing that he will, and that if he doesn't do something about it today, he will tomorrow. To keep on. This is the final thought for us all today, and then we, maybe we could stand, actually, um, If Jesus was visible, if the unseen could be seen, if Jesus was, was visible to our physical eyes right now, here, would there be a single one of us that would hold back? Would there be a single one of us who wouldn't go for prayer, who wouldn't ask him for something? Well, breaking news, Jesus is alive and he is here in the room. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, we should be forming a very unorderly line when it comes to prayer. We should be climbing over the top of each other. 
I really sense that there's some people in the room that their faith is being stirred, that it's like there was embers and now it's a flame. It was maybe a flame, now it's a roaring fire. There's others who, we're not there, we're not there. We don't have that kind of faith, and that's okay. I think that's okay. If any of what I have said has stirred you, whether it's in regards to physical healing, whether it's in regards to skepticism, please just be bold, be audacious. We can carry each other like, that, like the men carried that man. We can carry each other by faith. Those of us that have that kind of faith, we can carry those that don't. That's what it's all about. For we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That is the walk that we're walking. 